0: Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session.
1: Welcome, everybody. We are back in the studio today with our friend Gladys Manzanet of Northwestern Mutual, and we're back in the studio today for the Athena Communications Masterclass, Leadership is in Session, where we invite some of Milwaukee's most esteemed leaders to come spend time with us and share their lessons of leadership with all of you. Welcome, Gladys. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so honored to be here. Well, we are so happy to have you today. And we are have asked you in today to speak to us and to all of our listeners about creating abundance, empowering our community, which is something that you believe in so wholeheartedly. And you have been at Northwestern Mutual for a bit of time now, more than eight years. And you started there as a multicultural marketing consultant. At that point in time, it wasn't that long ago. We did not hear many people talking about the things that you were talking about then. So equity, diversity, inclusion, Belonging. you talk to us about how your work and your career have evolved there and what you're doing now, where your journey has led you. Sure. Happy to share. One of the things that I was hired to
0: do at Northwestern Mutual is to come in and lead what they call the Hispanic Marketing Program. And this program, was composed of about a hundred advisors across the country focusing on the Latino market. And what we recognized was that half the advisors in this program were non-Latino. And so what we were finding was, is, you know, those that were Latino can go, would go into the market. They understood some of the nuances, built trust immediately, and really use that support to really almost amplify the reach that they had in that, those markets. And we saw a lag for those that were non-Latino in that they they were serving the market, but they would find themselves in spaces where they were struggling a little bit. They would find themselves saying something inappropriate in a meeting and or they would all of a sudden get ghosted by a client or a prospect and not necessarily know why. And so a lot of the work that I did was a lot of cultural competency. So I would sit down and I would learn a little bit more about what it is that they wanted to achieve, who they were meeting with, what they might've said. We do a little role play to find out, like, how did you you know, frame something? Can you talk to me about the language you used? And so in through that, we learned that a lot of what I was doing was doing some of the coaching that I'm doing now and learning a little bit more about what people wanted to achieve, how they wanted to impact the Latino community and how they wanted to show up. And many of them had good hearts knew exactly they wanted to make the kind of impact, but they were just saying the wrong things or showing up in a different way or showing up in how they would in in regular markets and expect some of the same results. And so what we were able to do kind of overlay and provide more cultural nuance, more understanding, more you know information, data on what might necessarily work. And so that I think really helped them understand better. And we saw that those individuals that really accepted were curious and accepted the coaching. Those are the ones that were most successful. And through that work, we were able to really able to do some really amazing things with the program and it grew and evolved over time. And over time, some of the shifts started to happen at Northwestern Mutual and there was a role that came available. They used to, the team was multicultural market strategy and it evolved and it became known as field diversity inclusion. And they understood that what they needed to do in order to be more successful was not just share the business imperative for doing the work, they understood that they needed to help others understand that cultural competency that we were sharing and helping others offices be more inclusive because it wasn't just one market, one segment. We really need to be inclusive of all because as we started to understand what intersectionality was, as we start to understand the different dimensions of diversity, as we start to understand difference can show up in different ways, you could look the same from the outside but have different experiences and different things would impact how someone might show up. And so we wanted to really increase inclusivity and create more inclusive offices nationwide. And so a lot of that work. was how we started to embark on this. I know that was a whole lot of information.
1: (laughs) Really great context setting for our listeners. And certainly you have grown and evolved that program under your leadership. You mentioned the word nuances two times when you were just talking. What do you think some of those nuances were that were the most eye-opening to the people who really maybe accepted coaching wholeheartedly?
0: So a lot of what they understood was basically so a lot of the individuals that we had shared or connected with, they had already had Hispanic clients or Hispanic pros- prospects or friends or community members that they were already engaging with. And what they were doing was they were drawing a conclusion and creating a stereotype based on the people that they knew. Mm-hmm. And they, because of one way, worked with one individual that may And I'm just going to use an example, a Hispanic late 40s business owner, how he approached that person, he would use with a say, I would say, you know, and again, Mexican, Latina in her 20s and expect some of the same results. Right. So it was kind of one of those things where, you know, let's let's shift that a little bit. And we what our advisors do best is what they call fact-finding. A lot of it is they're asking a lot of questions and the way we were framing those questions, we started to understand that if we started to ask a little more in-depth questions, we started to get the answers that they needed in order to be able to shift how they would show up with these individuals. And so a lot of that, those nuances that we talked about is taking into consideration someone's experiences, the different dimensions of diversity that might inform how they perceive information and then how you can approach and provide the best value for them and show them how you can serve them.
1: Yeah, that's great. I just you mentioned something that's so critically important, and I luckily work in a space where I hear so many people talk about the fact how that it is so important to meet people where they, they are, are. Absolutely, one hundred percent.
0: And I think the you know being able to understand where they are because you know when you have a moment when the first impression you generally don't have a second chance. Mm -hmm. And normally there's a lot of trust building, a lot more time that you need to invest in being able to kind of rebuild that trust. For instance, if you've said something awkwardly, if someone doesn't know you, they'll just avoid you. Right. And so what we've been able to do is kind of share with them, like, listen, if someone explains to you that they may have been offended by something that you said, or they share with you, like, you know, how they may have interpreted something that they have said, I would always share with them like, oh my God, that's a, that's such a gift that meant, mm. that means that they cared enough to give you that feedback for you to correct yourself. Right. You know, anyone else who, you know, when you meet on the street, if someone says something that's inappropriate, you just, avoid them and then like expect never to see them again. And if you don't care about that person, you don't take the time to to teach them. Right. There's no reason for it. But for someone to take the time to help you correct your behavior, take that as a lesson, as a gift and receive it as such and then correct that behavior so you can do better.
1: I agree. Feedback is such a gift and receiving it in a timely manner is even better. Even better. And so I actually want to share when you walked into the studio today, you shared with me when you were on calls and you're introducing yourself, Mm -hmm. you say your name two (laughs) ways, (laughs) right? Will you share that with our listeners? Why you do that? Absolutely. So typically, depending on the audience that I'm facing,
0: generally, I will speak to an audience multiple. Cultural individuals and I will literally say, mi nombre es Gladys Manzanet. My name is Gladys Manzanet. And for those of you who may not understand, you know, that I would say like in the English language way, right? So let me say that again. So what I would do is I'd kind of approach a group of people. Generally, it would be made up of a very multicultural and very diverse audience. And what I would say is my name is Gladys Manzanet. And for those of you that don't understand Spanish, my name is Gladys Manzanet. And that's just a way for them to understand, like, it's a different way of pronunciation. Um, You know, I, I can navigate both ways. Some people prefer a certain way to say it certain name. But for me, I live in both spaces. So I'm very comfortable in someone calling me Gladys or Gladys, saying my last name Manzanet or Manzanet. So for me, it's very important for people to understand that I'm okay with that. And I'm giving them permission. It's very similar to me sharing my pronouns, right? It's a way for me to explain to them who I am and to let them know how they can address me in a very comfortable way. Because I think I understand that sometimes that's very uncomfortable for people to not necessarily understand that name isn't necessarily Smith, right? And so if you understand how to pronounce the name, I've given you permission to pronounce it two different ways that fits you best.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And hopefully that will generate for people a reminder that it's okay, mm-hmm. right, to ask, as I did with mm-hmm. you, I wanted okay. to ensure. So it I think it, it's all part of relationship building and cultivation. And speaking of that, I want to talk a little bit about your work in community. You pour your heart so much into your communities, into causes that elevate communities. Why is that? So I had a great leader approach me and tell
0: me, unless you know who you are, you're not going to be able to make the kind of impact you want to make. And so it took me a little while to understand what he meant by that. But for me, it took some time, some soul searching, right? Whether you're building out your vision statement or you're understanding what your why is as you're starting to kind of do the work. For me, understanding what it is that I wanted to achieve really helped me understand the kind of impact that I want to make. So 20 years ago, I again, with that fervor, I grew up wanting to give back. There was always the sentiment, and not necessarily in the same way, but understanding that you have to lift as you climb. When you reach a certain echelon, when you achieve a certain level of success, it is your duty to give back to the community and where you came from so that someone else can come up right behind you, right? You're always blazing a trail. You're always setting a path. You're always extending your hand to help someone else. And that's how I grew up. It's how my grandfather raised my mother. My mother raised my my sister and I. And so for us, this is very something that was embedded in us. But 20 years ago, I'm volunteering in the community giving back, if you will, right? Like I'm doing well in my professional life, giving back and I'm on 10 boards and I'm Mm -hmm. spread so thin. But what I understood was, is the moment that I gained clarity as the kind of impact that I wanted to make, that's when I was able to focus the efforts that I wanted to make as well. And giving back is more than just volunteering your time for an organization. Giving back is providing guidance coaching if you can. Being able to give back, making connections. I think that is always so important. And for me, being able to help create collective wealth in communities of color is the most important thing that I can do in order to give back, to create a legacy, to make sure that we're closing the racial wealth gap. All of that is something that centers me in a lot of things that I do. It involves the arts. It involves financial empowerment. It involves being able to create education in spaces where you might not necessarily get it. So for me, while it might seem to someone who might be looking at everything that I'm involved in that it might be a little desperate, I do understand that there is this straight line that is directly associated with my personal mission and how I want to accomplish it.
1: So you are talking about a lot of things and I keep coming back to your references to coaching, yeah, right? Giving mm-hmm. feedback And you call yourself a people champion, and I'm hearing that. What does that mean? That phrase people champion is really, I think it is
0: centered in optimism, in people, in hope, in people, and providing people grace. So for me, understanding being a people champion means to me that I'm able to listen with both ears that I've been given, Mm. right? Try to speak less. But also understand that you are always expecting the best in people. And when you are expecting that from people, people will generally rise to the occasion. And so and it's not to say that people don't disappoint you, right? Like Mm -hmm. we've been in spaces where we've had people do some things that may not necessarily be on the up and up, but I generally believe that if you at least approach it from a space of intent and impact and being able to assume the best in people, you can help them grow. And I think also too, personally, I think self-care wise, right? Like my own resilience. I also need to believe that in people in order for me to keep going and do the kinds of things that I do in my community and also to have the kind of impact that I want to make.
1: How do you manage expectations around the fact that some people give you reason to not be optimistic? Yeah, that's a really great question. I struggle
0: with that this week. And so I what I'll tell you is, The best analogy that I can give you is a cup being full, right? So for me, in the same week, I had a very challenging set of strategic planning meetings that really tested just my faith in some leadership, right? And then in the second vein, within the next hour, I went to an event where we hosted 100 Black advisors from across the country coming into Northwestern Mutual and seeing just how grateful they were for the kind of content and information and curriculum and guidance we were going to give them, the access to leadership, and it immediately filled my cup. So I think in this work, it will challenge you but it will also completely fulfill you. And so if you're always keeping that top of mind, I think that helps you move on day to day. This work, this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, you'll notice that people are not, you know, people are different spaces. There are different places in this work. And you will always have people who will rise to the occasion and people who will disappoint you. But I think that even those that disappoint us, there is, I think, hope in helping them see where how far they can go and how much better they can be. And I think we can always give guidance and all they can do is take it, right? Like we can't make people do something that they're not willing to do. But I think by being hopeful, I think you'll find that people will more likely than not do better just because you expect better of them.
1: And I there is a bumper sticker that I see frequently that says, When we all do better, we all do better, right? right? When we're pouring into people, we are creating that abundance, which is something you believe in. But I think for some people, it's really hard to envision that I, one person, one individual can help create that abundance for others and for a community. How
0: do people go about making that happen? It's so funny because I think even by stepping into the diversity, equity, and inclusion work, you're immediately trying to create abundance, right? I think you're immediately trying to help people feel seen. You're immediately trying to help people understand that they have a place. And so for me, abundance, what that means is you're always looking for the best in people. You're always looking for ways to create a bigger pie, if you will, rather than fighting for a slice of it, right? For us, the way we can bring people together and the way we can make bigger impact is through abundance. And with that comes that hope, with that comes that optimism, and with that comes with those high expectations that we can all do better.
1: I love that. And I know that you are so personally fulfilled by your work. And you mentioned earlier talking to people about finding their why, whether it's maybe earlier in their career, maybe it's midway through their career, maybe it's at a later season in life. What's the most fulfilling and meaningful part of your work? What's your why? You know, it's
0: funny because joining Northwestern Mutual, I'd always been what they called field-facing, meaning there's a full corporate entity. There's 6,000 employees here in Milwaukee and in New York and in Franklin. And then we have our field force, which are the 75 hundred advisors across the country, team members nationwide in 300 district offices and 76 network offices nationwide. What I enjoy is the work that I do is helping give voice to that 20% of that field force that may not necessarily be part of that dominant culture. Helping them find their way, helping them see themselves as being successful, helping them make a great impact in their work. The individuals that I connect with and that I serve through our field force, they consider their career a calling. Mm. What they're doing is helping families find and develop and create financial security. They are protecting their wealth and then growing it at the same time. And so that right there, I think when you're when you think about how you can help improve a community, generally, there is that scarcity that will cause just so much disparity and such, I think, chasms, I think, in our communities. But when you help someone understand the value of wealth, when you help them create that wealth within their families, when you help them transfer that wealth to the next generation, I think there's that, I think, hope and something that they feel it might be missing in their communities that they may not have had access to before. So, for me, the fulfilling part is seeing how our advisors are giving back and helping these families. Because in turn, I feel like what I'm doing is I'm multiplying my reach. I may not necessarily be that, but that particular advisor serving that particular family, but I'm giving them the resources. I'm helping them be better at their, in their roles. I'm helping them magnify their impact. And by, I think by way of that, I'm able to multiply the kind of impact that I want to make. Um, When I started before joining Northwestern Mutual, I had a very fulfilling career. I had my own business and I was doing a lot of community outreach work and again, connecting communities here locally. And I think what Northwestern Mutual, the gift of Northwestern Mutual is it's been able to give me the opportunity to make that impact and have that impact nationwide. And so that's the kind of thing that. helps fill my cup. That's what I think is fulfilling. That's what keeps me motivated and keeps me doing what I do.
1: I love that you mentioned yourself and that because I was wondering how you fill your cup Mm -hmm. because you give so much to so many people. What else do you do to keep yourself inspired? I really have...
0: A really great network. I am very blessed to have great friends and great coaches and mentors that still take my calls and Mm -hmm. (laughs) will want to connect with me. And so I think being surrounded by that also helps. I also have four pretty amazing kids Mm. that I think are also inspiring as well. Like they are the next generation and they show me different ways to be able to see the world and the kind of impact that they want to make because they're inspired by their parents for instance. So for me, I think that is what helps me. That's what keeps me grounded. But I think for me, being able to grow with a group of people, I think is so fulfilling for me. There's, It's so funny. I when I try to when I speak to people who are trying to learn a little bit more from me or maybe someone who's in college and interviewing me for like an article or they just want to learn a little bit more about what I'm doing. It's so for me, they're like, who's your mentor or who's this? And they want to know, like, who you know, how do I get my mentor, how to find my mentor? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really have to say that has been. I think pivotal to me in my growth has been not necessarily having a mentor, but having a group of friends that we kind of mentor each other. That group mentor, that peer mentoring, I think is so undervalued and probably not emphasized enough in helping to grow collectively together. I think that has been the most fulfilling for me because we champion each other. We're helping each other grow. We're celebrating each other's successes. And that I think has been, I think the other part that's helped me that in, in celebrating them, I find fulfillment. And then they're the first in my corner to celebrate and champion me when I need that too.
1: Speaking of cohorts, Gladys, you were part of a pretty amazing cohort in Milwaukee. You were named a woman of influence by the Milwaukee Business Journal. What
0: was that like? First of all, that was that group of women. I was just so honored to be among such a an esteemed and accomplished group of fabulous leaders. I thought that when I got the call, it was very emotional for me. Because that just meant that it was a, in a recognition of a lot of the work that I've been doing for quite some time. But I. I will say that one of the most surprising things that I felt when I was named was I didn't realize just how uncomfortable I would be with being the center of attention. The amount of outpouring and what we call people giving you your flowers. I mean, Mm. that was overwhelming to just receive all of that love at once. And while I appreciated it and I loved every minute of it, I also understood just how, just how overwhelming it could be. And I was not I don't think I prepared myself for that. Mm -hmm. I think I took some time to really understand what that was. Like, do I not give myself enough time or space to, you know, kind of take account of my accomplishments? Like, why am I feeling this way? So there was a lot of that happening. I think for me, although I understood the power of just that cohort and what they were able, I felt like there was a little bit of maybe even what they call like imposter syndrome. Mm Like, am I worthy to be in this among this esteemed group, but quickly praise and just the people that I would never even expect to tell me the kind of impact that I've been able to make in their lives and what I've been able to do or how they've been rooting for me this whole time. I mean, that I think all of that all at once was a lot. But now would I ever would I ever like not do it? Oh God no. I mean I think it was such a really great experience. But at the same time, I think Everyone needs, I think, a moment, a reflection of just what they've been able to accomplish. And I, what I recognize in that moment is maybe up until then, I hadn't done that work. I hadn't done it. I hadn't taken account of all the things that I've been doing. And I think that honor, what it helped me do is that, yes, I've accomplished a lot. There's still a lot of work to do. But I also understood that maybe the work also had to be internal too and making sure that I allowed myself time to be very not only grateful for everything that I had but also to understand the positive impact that I was also making, you know, in in how it was affecting others and how it was contributing to my community.
1: I so appreciate the fact that you were just really candid there. You were so vulnerable in this moment and I saw you getting a little emotional as you were sharing and I think that's such a powerful lesson certainly People, our listeners can't see you, but I'm feeling this from you right now that it was such a powerful moment. But I also appreciated in that time, you were feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And I think as leaders, all of us have those moments. You mentioned imposter syndrome. Yeah. I talk to a lot of women who talk about that routinely. And I don't hear men talking about that. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe it exists. I mean, I never want to make that
0: assumption, but I do sense that there's, we always have that self-talk, right. Or that, that little voice that says, well, is this really what this is? Right. And so I think what we owe to ourselves is an honest account and say the, yes, I've done the work. And also too, like we all have that negative self-talk. But one of the things I realized is that over time, we would never speak to someone else that way. We would never call to question or cause or create that kind of doubt in someone else's mind. Why on earth would we do that to ourselves? And I think that's the kind of work to be able to like almost like stop ourselves. We always in this work, we always talk about the power of the pause. If you think that somehow you might be saying something wrong, pause collect yourself and think about what you need to say. But the pause also works for yourself too. The moment that you start to have that negative self-talk, take a pause and try to reframe what that's supposed to be and what it is that you're trying to accomplish or try to say. And I think for me, there was a lot of pausing happening during that time. There was a lot of... um self-reflection of, wow, you know, I need to, why do I feel this way? To your point, like the emotion, I think the emotion is understanding that there's work that needs to be done. There's a little more self-reflection that needs to be had, but at the same time, like making sure that the emotion and the love and the hope and the optimism that you're putting out in the world, that you're also putting that inward to and making sure that you're also making the investment and you're having that same optimism, that same hope, that same positivity, that same abundance for yourself too.
1: In closing, I would like to ask you, in addition to some of the wonderful things you've said to us today, you've talked about optimism, you've talked about empowering people, you've talked about seeing the best in people meeting them where they are. What life lesson should people embrace and not be afraid of? I would say, I think I'll
0: go back to that lesson that I learned early on by a really great leader in that really know and find out who you are and own that. I think that life lesson of really standing true to who you are, when you know who you are, you understand the impact that you want to make, the people you want to influence and the work that you want to do. And I think that when you don't have that centered, you can see yourself falling into spaces where you may not do necessarily the right thing or you might be straying or spreading yourself thin. And I think for, I think the lesson that I would like to leave others with is just really take the time to do the work to understand what is it that you stand for and understanding your why for what you want to do, how you want to move about the world and the kind of impact that you want to make. I think, I think some of us, you know, and and I will admit that for a long time, that was me too, trying to figure out what I want to do, being okay with some of the recognition. And, but I think once you understand and do the work for what you are, like, what are your three main values and how does that center you? And how can you use that as fuel? Because I think when you're spreading yourself thin and you don't know who, it's very easy to fall into a depression, right? Like we just came back, we just stepped out of a pandemic and where people really needed to build on their resiliency skills, right? You know, understand what that resilience looked like for people. Um, I think that by not knowing who you are or what you stand for, you run the risk of falling into deep anxiety and depression and or wandering aimlessly or just moving in through the motions. And I think when you have that purpose, that is what will help ground you for the kind of impact that you want
1: to make and the people you want to affect. Wow. We will leave you with that.
0: Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity
1: with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.